0: This one uh, that we're going to be looking at today um, will be coming out of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at a parable there. And uh, the title of our, our message today is an invitation to participate in the kingdom. Um, those who are here today, um, I hope one thing that you do is you have ears to hear today and eyes to see what's up on the screens to, to, and, and what you're reading in the Word of God to understand that God has a special invitation for each one of us here this morning. And that's something I hope that you let settle on your hearts, because as we look at this, this message about an invitation, it will be one that will be of historical value, but one of personal meaning. And the reason I mean personal meaning is because it applies to each person in this room here this morning. And so uh, there is a key kingdom truth that I want to uh, convey as um, you guys get that uh, title down and and where we're going to be in the book of Matthew in chapter 22. It's going to be that the parable that we're going to look at today illustrates some really key things, that God extends a gracious invitation to people to participate in his kingdom. And by accepting this invitation... It leads to joy, while some will choose to reject this invitation, and it leads to punishment and judgment and even death. Now, there's, there's a, a sobering thought to think about. There will be many today um, that come here to church and, and hear about this great invitation and choose to leave this place uh, knowing that they have sort of turned away from this invitation, this great message of grace that's found in His Son, Jesus. Um, and, and the reality is there are going to be those who, who do that. But I pray that God would work in the hearts of those here today, that that wouldn't be the case as we look at that first kingdom truth, that, um, that grace is a, it's a gracious invitation for those who are here, and it's a joyous invitation to be a part of. So here's what I want to do in the honoring of God's word. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. If you're able to stand this morning, we're going to be looking at the parable of the marriage feast, and, and it goes as this in verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in a parable saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servant to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. They went off one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops to destroy those murderers and burn their cities. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You may be seated. Let me pray real quick before we... Get started. Father, again, we just come to you today. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, that you would be with me as I present your word. God, I know I can do nothing apart from you, and I just ask, Father, that you would be with me in a special way to convey the important truths that are found here, the heavenly truths in this parable. Lord, may it fall on those hearts that need to fall on today. May they see their, their, their greatest need in all the world, is Jesus. And to to respond to this gracious invitation from the King to come into his kingdom, because it is a time of joy and celebration, and one that cannot be experienced in in any other way or any other thing. God, you truly are the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, I pray that we would allow that to settle into our minds and our hearts today. Lord, again, just grant me um, clarity as I share your word. And be with those who are here, even the guests that are here. I pray that they may feel warmed and welcomed uh, here today. And those who are here every Sunday, Father, I pray that they would not just treat this as another Sunday, but a day that we would uh, focus our attention and our worship to you, especially during this time. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So today, uh, church, we see... um, as you look at me, I, I look like a guy that has a little gray in his beard, as you see. as uh, I, I have a little gray in my beard. And I grew up in the 1980s. Any, any 80s people here uh, that grew up in the 80s? I'm really, I'm really proud to say I'm, I grew up in the 80s. I think it was one of the best times to grow up. I know everybody's sort of got their own flavor. But mine was the 80s, and I loved the 80s because it was just a time of, of different things. But as I was thinking about this parable and, and the great invitation that's extended in it, it, it reminded me of something when I was growing up in the 80s that, that I remembered. And it was, it was this great royal British celebration that I remember seeing being televised and put out all over the airwaves, and people were taking pictures of these certain people that were named Prince Charles and Lady Di- Diana. And this was a celebration like no other because of the pageantry that went into it. If you're younger and you don't remember Prince Charles and Lady Diana, you probably can think of their kids, Prince William and, and the others that got married. Uh, that, that, the, the, the pageantry that was built around this time of celebration. But in the 80s, I remember that it was, it was proposed that the, the wedding was $57 million uh, to put on. This wedding was of, of extravagance. And it was the highest known during the time in the 1980s. They say it's pro- approximately, if it would have been a, a wedding of today, the magnitude that they had, it would be approximately around $110 million with inflation. So this was a great, great uh, celebration. The, the, the outfit of, of the princess, uh, L- uh, Lady Diana, was $115,000 alone. And her tra- a train of her veil was 25 foot long. Now, let me just say this. My wife, when we got married, that was nowhere close to 25 foot long. And, and there was a lot of stuff that you had to be careful about not tripping over. I can't imagine this, but this was the magnitude of this wedding that was happening for this British royal wedding. It was something that everyone took notice of and was excited about. Well, that pales in comparison to the Lord's parable here that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 22. This, this great royal wedding feast that the king is preparing for his son is like no other. And, it, and the reason I say that is because in verse 1, he speaks in a parable. Those who are here this morning, if we don't already know this, a parable was just a simple way for Jesus to share a story in earthly terms that would have heavenly meaning. And so these people that were listening to it, uh, there in the crowds there that were in the temple, would, would have been listening to, to think about, where do I fit in this story? Much like us here this morning. We should be asking ourselves, where do we fit in this story, in this parable, and what is the heavenly truth that God is trying to portray or tell us about ourselves in this, in this parable? So we see the Lord Jesus is speaking to them in this parable, and it's about the kingdom of heaven. And he says it could be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son in verse 2. You see, the subject that Jesus makes here is really clear for all of us here today. The subject is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, uh, as I was looking to share with you this morning, uh, was best described by Steve Lawson. I'm going to use his words because they're really good about what the kingdom of heaven means here in this parable. It says these words are not referring to one day when we will be in heaven. He's talking about salvation right now. Not so much of us going to a place called heaven, but heaven coming to us, and God himself coming into our hearts and our souls, and for us to enter into the reign and redemption and salvation that's found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let me just say this, church, if you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if you're in right relationship with Jesus Christ, you are in the kingdom of heaven, amen? And that's something we should be all gracious about, because as Jesus starts off in this this parable, we see that this kingdom of heaven is being compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, this is a beautiful illustration, because the king in this story is God. So we think of this God extending this invitation to people to come and to see this person who is the son, who is Jesus in this parable. So you have God, the king, you have Jesus, the son, and you have these invitations going out to come and be a part of this salvation that's happening in, in a person's life that if they experience a, a right relationship with Christ, that they can have this, this, this new relationship that's found in Christ. And so we see this wedding feast is, is used here as an illustration, as a time of celebration and joy. As many of you have been in your lives before to a celebration of a wedding or a reception, you know it's a time of great anticipation, a time for focus to be put on people, um, and, and, and it's just a, a great time. But this is used here by our Lord here in this parable because it's it's a meaningful occasion. It's a union of two people being brought together, beginning a new chapter in their lives. It's just as one when one trusts in Christ, they enter into unionship with Christ, with with that relationship with Jesus. It's it's the it's a symbolation or a, a symbol of the union between Christ and His bridegroom and His church, the bride. You see, this this all points to the invitation of a wedding feast as a symbol of the invitation for salvation and eternal life. Church, here's today. I don't want you to miss the fact that eternal life is at stake here. The invitation to come and to receive Jesus in in your life, in your heart, is not something to play around with. This is something of serious nature, and it should be something that we all give lots of thoughts to. I know the the, the Pharisee in John chapter 3 was confused about this. His name was Nicodemus. If you all remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, he was one who was confused about spiritual birth, this new birth that would happen in someone's heart and life. And and Jesus just simply explained to him, unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. If you are not born again here today, then you have not taken a hold of the invitation that's found in Jesus and through his life. And his death and his burial and resurrection, excuse me. So we need to see that this is one that uh, Nicodemus was confused about. But he goes on in, in the later chapters and verse, verses in chapter 3, excuse me, where he says that unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and what is born is of spirit is spirit. What, what Jesus was trying to get across to Nicodemus was the great invitation, to come and be born again. And that it's, it's one of spiritual birth. It's not one of, of, of a fleshly birth. One that uh, is born of flesh is flesh, but he goes on to say that it is one of born of the spirit is spirit. So we see Jesus here is is wanting us to get the subject, the kingdom of heaven, the salvation for those who are trusting in him. And right now, they enter into a a time of celebration and joy. But we also see that the focus is put on the Son in verse 2. I know that's something that when you read this parable, you can really read really quickly and miss the fact of who the focus is. It's on Jesus. It's not like the weddings we see today and the celebrations today where people put the focus on the bride the bride comes marching in down the aisle and all eyes everybody stands in attention to her and looks at her coming down no it's not on us not on us as being the bride but it's on the son and this is important because the son here is the one whose our attention should be fixed upon the preeminent one the son the one who is to be the focus of the wedding celebration it's not the bride it's not those who are invited, but it's the Son. It's the Son who deserves the respect and the honor and the worship. And that's the one, this, this parable that that God wants us to see is the one who deserves the ultimate glorification, the ultimate worship, and nothing else. You see, the, the Father's grand purpose in salvation is for all of us is that we would glorify the Son, and then through our lives we would live that out to to, to tell other people about this invitation, about the Jesus that saved us from our sins. The thing that we couldn't do for ourselves is offered through this person of Jesus. And when we come into right relationship with him, we glorify him, and we worship him. You see in, 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 in Philippians, Paul talks a lot about this in chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. He says, therefore, God has exalted him. He bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, and that is the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow, and every, and every tongue confess that under, under earth that he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And that he is to the glory of God the Father, the one who is to be worshipped. So our first point of this morning is God's invitation to Israel. We see a lot of what this parable is setting up for us here. But this invitation was extended to Israel in verse, in verse 3. He's going to send out three different invitations in this parable. The first one is going to be the invitation to Israel. And you see, he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Okay, so this leads us to see that the king wants Israel. He invites Israel, but what do they do? They reject the invitation to come and participate. This is pointing to the servants who are being sent out by God the king those are those who are of the Old Testament, the prophets. We know that God loved Israel. We know that in Genesis chapter 12, God first called the chosen people through Abraham to come to be his people. And through them, there would be those that would be blessed among the whole world. We see the prophet Amos speaks to the love of, of the father for Israel. He says, you only have I chosen all of the families of the earth. You see, even as they turned away and rejected the invitation from the king to come to this great marriage feast for his son, we see that God continually continually works his grace into their life to continue to pursue after them. We see that here that they um, are enslaved in Egypt, but God, what does he do? He sends his, his, his servant Moses to free them and lead them out of Israel. Again, showing that he, he loved Israel. It says in Hosea 11:1, When Israel was but youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. You see this, this invitation first extended to Israel. But they, those who were invited, referred to Israel, rejected it to, to come. This, this includes the servants that went over and over again to Israel in the Old Testament, to the unwilling, the hard-hearted people of Israel. Those were the people that, that were the prophets who were persecuted. They were ridiculed. The the prophetic words that were spoken and given and written were rejected by them. Israel, they 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 ensued physical violence upon Israel. They kept in their they, they, they kept the prophets um, chained in, in cells and dungeons. Oftentimes, when you read the old in the Old Testament, they threatened them with their do, with death and even sometimes led to, de, to death on the death in their own lives. But you see, Jeremiah the prophet in 7.13 says, why they were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. See, this invitation was extended in graciously by God the, the, the king was to the nation Israel, and they continually rejected it. But the king showed abundant mercy and, and patience in and, and verse 4, what does this king do? It's, it's something really, it's mind-boggling when you read this, because if I was a king, I would just say, I'm done with you, and you're dead, and send my people out to uh, have my vengeance on them for the disrespect and, and, the, and the, the, the less importance that they showed to my invitation, I would, I would have send out somebody. But in verse 4, what does this king do? And, and the king shows abundant mercy and patience. It says the word again. You can read this, and you can read it real quick. But the word again is really key. It shows that again. What does this king do? He sends other servants, saying, "Tell those who are invited: See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fattened calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast." Here we see that this is a second invitation. It's no longer speaking of the Old Testament prophets, but now it's looking to the New Testament, to those who are being sent in the New Testament to the nation of Israel. The word again shows this abundant mercy and patience of the king. But with this disrespectfulness that they have sensed, the king had gotten from those who were Israel was incomprehensible. Yet the king did not react despite the people's rejection, he acted with mercy and grace, being relentless in asking the people to come. The very fact, again, I want you to listen to this, the very fact that God calls and calls and prepares the very best in the abundance reveals his heart for his people of Israel. Not only was it to the prophets of the Old Testament to go and continually tell them of the love and, and the purpose of God in their life, but yet they rejected it. Now we see in the New Testament it was given to, to uh, the, the new people like John the Baptist, the 12 apostles, and Matthew 10. The 70 who were sent out to every city to prepare the people for the coming of Christ in Luke 10.1. And Jesus himself, think about this church, Jesus himself was, was one of those servants that went to them in the second invitation. And through Jesus' three years of ministry to this nation of Israel, we see what did they have um, to to pay attention to but nothing. He, He proclaimed himself, Jesus himself proclaimed himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But Jesus had been offering himself in his kingdom to Israel, but what did they continually do even through the second invitation was to reject it, just as it was found in the Old Testament. You know, the one thing that shows God's mercy and his abundant patience is is what the psalmist says in 86 verse 15. It says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Do you hear that? Our God is one who's slow to anger. He's a bending, uh, he's a, he's a, he's a, uh, he's one who, when, when we think about him becoming angry with us, he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for us. He was doing this as a picture, even though the rejection was there with Israel in the Old Testament and in the New Testament with these different servants going out with different invitations. God continually loved Israel. But as Romans ten twenty one tells us, but concerning Israel, he says, all the day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and stubborn people. When looking at the text, we see even in verses five and six, if you look there, they paid no attention and they went off. This means they had a little desire for the king's invitation or honor of his son. They made light of it because they were too consumed with the worldly passions of their own pursuits. They were living for themselves. And today we see many in our culture today living for themselves. We see many in our cultures, just like the, the nation of Israel, they're wrapped up in what they can gain or what what's important to them, that they miss the invitation that the king extends to come into this great marriage feast for his son. Church, I think this is a, is a, a part for us to pause, even though God is slow, slow to anger and he's merciful and gracious and patient with us. And we see that even with the nation of Israel through the second invitation We need to not take light of this, that God is a just God, and we're going to learn about that here in a second. But these people went off to their own own doings, their own pursuits, their own living, and what they found is that their pleasures and their comforts triumphed the importance of the king and the invitation. They were wrapped up and cared more about the things that they wanted to pursue. One in there, it says in there, he went to his farm. This shows that the, the property and his crops were of greater value than seeing the treasure of the king and in his invitation. Another went to his business. This, engage, he, this person was engaging in commerce and, and trade and business, looking for ways to make a dollar. Let me just say this, that this person was probably in love with money, and that was their downfall. You know, church, we can learn from both of these men here in uh, verses 5 and 6 that we, we can see that we need to be careful what our hearts are given over to and what we're striving for of importance in our, in our lives. Is it placed on the preeminence of the Son and His place and his, his working in our life to come to see that we only need salvation in Him and we need to be in a place that brings honor to Him. We need to be careful that we're not pursuing the pursuits of the world and gaining treasures that will not last but only will fade. These men were concerned as the king, uh, not concerned with the king's honor, but only their own. The rest is mentioned here at the end of this verse, uh, those who mistreated his, uh, his servants even to the point of death. This is, is mentioned here in this parable to remind us that these are people who are just worldly, religious people, who care little. They'll scoff and think the things of God are foolish in this world. We know different if you're in, 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 in relationship with Christ, that that is not foolish. But these men persecuted and killed the king's servants. The king was thre- uh, had threatened uh, these people with their position, their prestige, their wealth, and even their security. And therefore, they were hostile towards the servants who brought the good news of the king to them. We see that even in our day today. You go out to share the gospel with those, and there will be people who persecute you. They'll scoff at you, and they don't want to hear it. In other parts of the world, there are people that give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Think about these servants here. This this servant, this king sends a second invitation to these people, yet they still do do heinous things to the king's servants this is a direct attack to the king and to his son it says in matthew 6 26 that for what will it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his very soul church let us let that sit in our hearts today as we think of what we're striving for and what we're looking for Um, are we pursuing after the right relationship that's found only in christ and him alone or are we looking to the things of the world to fulfill our heart? That God-shaped heart in our heart. It reminds me of these men here in the second invitation, the ones that was the farmer and the businessman that got consumed and wrapped up in the worldly things. It reminds me of the passage in Luke 8, 14 about the seeds that the, farmer, the person was casting upon the different soils. And some fell upon those that were of among the thorns. And they, those who heard, they heard it, but yet after they had gone away, they were choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. And the fruit never came to maturity. Church, let us not be that, that, that seed that falls among the thorns that never reaches maturity. Because the invitation of God is something that you don't play around with. We see that the king here also judged the rejectors and punished them in, this, in verse 7. It says the king's vast patience here, we see, wears thin with these, with these people, the second invitation that was given to Israel, it, because of the mistreatment of his servants, and because of the, the, the ignorance to, to not listen, and to be stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and because of that, they brought upon themselves this punishment, because this patience, the slow the anger God, his patience wore thin and finally exhausted, and he judged them. We see in this parable that the judging happens by sending Rome through, uh, to come and, and destroy and to, to, to destroy Jerusalem. This was actually one of the commentators says it points to the great destruction that happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD. This speaks of a time uh, that uh, a Roman general named Titus led siege on uh, Jerusalem and left it in destruction, leaving the temple in ruins. The entire city of Jerusalem was left uh, just as a blank slate, just leveled down. They looted it and they left a number of the Jews either killed or scattered for uh, running for their lives. This speaks here of the divine judgment of a just God. I want us to, to, to hear this. God is, is loving. God is, is, is holy, but God is just. And God will be just when his invitation is extended to those who it's extended to time and time again. And that's not just speaking to the children of Israel, it's speaking to us here today, this morning. If we, if we neglect the, the understanding of what Christ has done for us on the cross, and we take that invitation and just reject uh, the, the invitation to come and to be at the, the mar- great marriage feast, we too are riding on ourselves the same punishment that happened to Jerusalem this divine judgment. The thing that made Israel most unworthy was the rejecting of God's most gracious invitation. It was the re- rejection of his son and, the, and the, the beautiful gift that's found in his life, salvation. When we reject God, it's our rejection, church, that brings our condemnation. If you reject God here today, you stand condemned, and only you. And the reason I can say that, because in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, listen to these words, but whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever, and that's speaking of Jesus, but whoever does not stand condemned already because he has not believed, or, let me, excuse me, whoever believes in his name is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the God of the one and only Son, Jesus. Here's the thing. We need to ask ourselves, is this punishment and judgment, this condemnation being written on upon our lives because we have rejected the Son of Jesus? My kingdom question for us today is this. Are you rejecting or putting other things of lesser importance before the kingdom invitation? I hope that we are not church today, because this is the the eternal truth in this parable that God does not want us to miss. But here's the beautiful thing about the third invitation that's sent out today here in verses 8 through 10. And and we see this in point number two today, if you're taking notes, that God's invitation is to any and all. This is the beautiful gift that is extended to each person here today. It says in verse 8, then he said to his servants, Go to the way, or he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. That's speaking of Israel through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and through uh, even why Christ was living, they, they, they missed who he was. But here, here you see that he says in verse 9, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding feast or hall was filled with guests. We see here that the servants here were the witnesses that went forth immediately after the Lord's resurrection and coming of the Holy Spirit. You see that you have the Old Testament prophets. You have those during the New Testament speaking to the nation of Israel. Now you have those after uh, the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit the servants bringing the message of the invitation. But this is a king's invitation was to go to all the main roads in verse 9. This is awesome because it shows the king's desire to have the wedding hall filled for his son and the celebration. This is beautiful, church, because it it, it shares that that God has in his mind the great commission here. As it says in verse 9, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast all and as many as you can find. Do you hear the words, go therefore? It sounds similar to the, the great commission that we see in Matthew in, in uh, verse, chapter 28, verse 19, where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We see that God's invitation is extended to any and all who would come into the wedding hall and celebrate. And, and would not reject the invitation. It is for those uh, of us here today to realize if we are in right relationship with God, he wants us to live a great commissioned life for those out in the world, to share the great hope that is found in Christ Jesus. We are to go to the main roads, and here's the beautiful thing. When, when he says to go to the main roads in verse 9, he's speaking of the Gentiles. That is us here this morning, Amen. We are the Gentiles that have been grafted into God's plan and purpose. His providential plan to have salvation come to us. And the invitation now, because of the rejection of Israel, can be extended to us to accept. We see this, uh, again, the great invitation to go, therefore, and to go to the main roads. This is speaking of going to all other nations that are willing to accept God's grace as invitation. It's not just for Ross County here, it's for everywhere in the entire world. It's speaking of people of all races, nations, ethnic groups, uh, the marginalized, the outcast. You see, God wants us to, as God's people to cast a wide net because that's how God thinks. God doesn't want us to think, oh, well, the nation of Israel rejected it, so I'm done. No. He sees all and any that want to come now into his plan of salvation and eternal life. This is the beautiful plea of God in his grace. We see that this plea is is one that we we see uh, come to completion in Revelation 7-9. And if you if you want to turn real quick to Revelation seven nine, this is a beautiful picture, um, and it's for those in the church of us that might be a little, uh, a little, a little confused on God and His grace. It's not just for people that look just like us but it's for people of all nations. It says this in verse 9:79 9, 9 in Revelation. After this I looked and behold a great multitude no one could number from every nation and from every and all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with white palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on his throne and to the lamb. Wow. Do you hear that? They're clothed in white robes, waving palm branches. Celebration of of a time of the great marriage feast. Of all people, of all nations coming together. The invitation, this third invitation we see in verses 8 through 10. These servants that are going out. He says, go out to anyone on the main roads and, and invite them to the wedding feast. And those servants went out to the roads and gathered all whom they found. Both bad and good. Wow. This is God's great plan of salvation for this, those of us who realize the gift that's found in his life, in Jesus. We see that uh, in Romans ten, twelve. for there is no difference between Jew and Greek or, gen- or, or Gentile. Uh, it says the same Lord is Lord of all who richly blessed all who call on him. Here's the thing. If you want to be richly blessed today, church, call on him. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're an outcast if you feel like you're marginalized, if you're from a different place or you look different. Guys, we're all a little strange. If you look around here, we're all a little strange, but God's grace finds us right where we are. I'm so, so pleased to know that God has given me this grace. He's given me this invitation. He's given people that I love the same invitation in this church guys, let's not miss the beautiful gift that God extends to us. We are richly blessed on on those who call on him. And and let me just say, those who don't, God, there's, there's wrath and judgment to come for them. But we see this invitation is no longer just for a few, but for everyone. It's for the rich, the poor, the high, the low, the free, the slave, the moral, the immoral, the religious, the irreligious. Let me say again, the religious, the irreligious churches for those who are out there not on Sunday mornings that need to hear the invitation. Let us be a people who will take that message to them. Let us be sent out from this church to tell them of the good news that is found in our Lord Jesus. I love what Jonathan Edwards says, that the door of God's mercy is thrown wide open. And Christ stands in the door and says to the sinner, come. Will you come to the invitation of the great marriage feast for the father, for his son? Will you pay honor to him? Will you realize that that gift is an invitation to salvation for you? It's a beautiful thing that we know that the door has, come, has been swung open saying, Come. Church, let us be a church of, of the people as we read in Acts 1-8 that are focused not just here in Jerusalem but Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let us be people who don't disvalue the people here in Ross County and their hearts and their, 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 where they're going to go one day but those who are of every nation, every ethnic group. doesn't matter what life they've lived before. pastor spoke in, in his message last Sunday about Grace. And imagine getting to heaven one day and and seeing the criminal hanging on the cross there next to you. Or or imagine being next to someone who has done some heinous things like the tax collector, Matthew, who, who extorted money from people and who worked to take from his own people. Can you imagine being around people who even over in the prisons that are not too far away from our church that come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior will be in heaven one day. You know, here's the thing a lot of us struggle with. We struggle with thinking we're better than other people. But here's the beautiful thing that's found in verse 10. If you, if you missed this, I want to make you reflect your eyes down and look at it. He says he gathered, he said, go and gather all from who are found, both bad and good. Do you hear that? Both bad and good. We, none of us here in our own good, our own merit have any right to stand before God but yet he gives us that opportunity through his son and his righteousness you know we see that this this be, bo- both bad and good being invited is is to help us see that the morally good and morally evil is is both equally unworthy of standing before the lord and attending the king's marriage feast but he doesn't he doesn't just hold that against us he offers us to come we, we have no moral good or no good standing in, in any of us. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that all, all of us have sinned. Or That's Romans 3.23. But Romans 3.10 says this, that there's no one righteous, not one. You know, there's not a person in here who can stand in their own righteousness, their own goodness before God, not even a preacher. We all are in need of grace and salvation that's found through his son Jesus. You know the beautiful thing is that we read in Ephesians that it's truly a gift of God. It says, "For grace has been, for it's grace that you have been saved through faith, and is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast." Here's the thing: it is a gift of God that we are able to invite in the morally evil and the morally good and come before a holy God, and Him find us just as we are and accept us. We see in in here, that we must remember a person is not worthy of receiving salvation on any human merit or good. It's not found in religion or spiritual accomplishments. It's not saying, it's not found in any other thing that you might be able to to think of in your mind, but it's only by saying yes to the invitation to receive his son, Jesus Christ as Lord. It's through grace and nothing else. That's what it's found in, grace. Here we see the king's invitation Lastly here in point C is that he was, it was accepted in verse 10. How, how is faith, if one here is here this morning wondering how they receive this grace um, and they, don't, they, don't know, they know that they're a sinner and they can't find this, this uh, salvation in anything they've done and in any of their works, but it's truly a gift. If we look back at Ephesians, it's found through faith. R.C. Sproul says that faith is a means by which righteousness of Christ is given to us. If you are a person who calls out on the name of the Lord and you understand that you are a sinner and without God you're hopeless and that it's only by faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done by dying on a criminal's cross for your sins and by being buried and being rose again, knowing the gospel, the full understanding of that, and that by, by faith in him that we receive his righteousness. That's the only only way of means to receive this gift that God gives that he speaks about in Ephesians and as R.C. Sprouls says is a means of our righteousness. Here's the kingdom question for us today. Have you turned from your sins, not someone else's sins, but your sins and trusted in Christ to receive his invitation? If so, are you inviting others or are you judging others, church? What I mean by judging others is a lot of times we look at other people that look different of us and we think really quickly something that we probably shouldn't. Christ's love is the same love for them as it is for us and we need to extend this invitation to them. This brings us through our third point today is God's confrontation with the guest. This is, is, is one of the points that that we really need to see is terrifying for those who aren't in a right relationship with Jesus. It says this in verse 11, but when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw that there was a man that had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without your wedding garment? And he was speechless. We see that this wedding garment or the wedding clothes that are talked about here in this parable is speaking of the representing the symbol of Christ's righteousness. Remember back to Revelation 7, 9, where those that are around the great multitude were in clothed in white robes, worshiping around the throne, worshiping God. We see here that this wedding garment is something that we are freely given by God. Here's the thing that that we have to have it to be acceptable to be able to enter into this wedding feast. It says unless one was properly clothed, he uh, would be standing in his own merit not being found in a good standing with God. We know, as, as it says in Isaiah 64, 6, that we have all all of our works and our deeds and the things that we think that are great are like filthy rags before a holy God because of the sin that resides in us. And the thing is, when we see that our our, 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 our garments are filthy and polluted garments then we need to look through the one that has the the garment that we need to be clothed in and that's the the one of Jesus, the one who gives his, his imputed righteousness to us, the one who gives us the righteousness that comes by believing in him through faith. You see, the wedding clothes shows that God had made provisions for all those who were invited. Remember, he invited all and any who would come in the third invitation. This is speaking of those who were invited were coming from the main roads and from all different places. Any who would fill up this wedding hall and this feast, uh, this marriage feast for his son. They were coming just as they were. But here's the beautiful thing. The king provided the wedding garments for them to be a part and be, be, be fit for the celebration of his son. Here's the thing, this man that chose to come chose not to recognize that he was unclean and his garment was polluted. He did not choose to take the garment that was provided for him by the king and to wear the garment. Yet he did not examine himself very well at all. We see as this king entered in, this is point A, is that I want you to see the king entered in to the invited guests in verse 11. This was the great day of inspection. This was the day that all the hypocrites and frauds would be found and, 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 and for, found out. The ones who were not clothed in the proper garment, the, the righteousness of Christ. The ones who came like this man under the wrong pretenses and the wrong thing came uh, to, to, to his own demise. Charles H. Spurgeon says that no man can put on the robe of Christ's righteousness till he's taken off his own. Here's the thing, this man forgot to take off his own. He came thinking that he had his own merit, his own good to stand before a holy God. But here's the, 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 the thing that we need to realize about this man. He was speechless when the king came and asked him, why are you here in the wrong garments? He was not just speechless. This means he was muted. He was muzzled. There was nothing that he could say as an excuse or a way out to show his disloyalty, his disrespect, the dishonor that he had showed the king choosing to show up on on his own terms. But we we need to realize, church, and those who are believers here, that we we we, we are gracious people to receive the righteousness that comes from Christ. Because if we were to stand in our own garments, we would be thrown out just like this man was. But because of what Christ has done, he has given us a way to stand before God and have that right relationship restored again. We see the king also judged the man who was not properly clothed. It was a great day of inspection. It was, a great day, uh, it was also a day that was scary for this man who was not clothed properly. And, and, and we know, as, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that it is appointed for everyone to die once and then to stand judgment. This man was, was in his inspection by the king being found out that he came in his own merit and it was not good enough. He did not have the righteousness that was found in Christ. And because of that, he was bound hand and foot. Now, this is scary when you think about this as you observe what happened to him, that this was a prevention of him ever returning. This was speaking of, a, there was a, a, a one where he was bound with his hands, showing that he had no restraint. And then they bound his feet saying that he could never run away or return back. This is speaking of the, ju- the divine judgment that the man brought upon himself for turning to the king's marriage feast inappropriately and pro- and, and dressed in the wrong garment. That he would be thrown out of the occasion, never to be able to come again. He was permanently banished from the king's presence. He was cast into darkness, put in, in, into a place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was cast out into the utter darkness, never to come back into the brilliance uh, and the great light of this s- celebration. This is the seriousness of what we need to think about with this man. Not only was he permanently taken away and banished from the king, but he was cast in the darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then it says that he was cut off from ever coming back to the occasion. You know, the, the the terrible thing, those who reject God and his invitation and his grace that is found through his son Jesus will never get another chance to decide differently when they stand before a holy God. But it's only those who have placed appropriately their faith in, in Jesus and what he's done for them and what he has accomplished for them. That is the right garment to come into, not the garment that this man had come into with, with his self-will, his pride, thinking that he could come in on his own terms without, without Christ and his imputed righteousness. You know, the imputed righteousness means righteousness that comes as a consequence of, God, consequence of God's saving work through Jesus only. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you hear that? Through Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Through his death, through his burial and resurrection, through his death on the cross that he took and bore our sins, that we could have the righteousness of Christ. Church, I want to tell you there is no other way to salvation only found in Jesus Christ and him alone. We know that in John fourteen six that it says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that anyone who would come to him has to come through Jesus. You hear that? There's, there's a small, slim, uh, narrow way to come to God. There is not a wide way where many people try to enter in, but there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ, that he is the way that leads the life. See, this man did not experience life. He experienced death. But for those of us here today, if God gives us ears to hear today, I pray that he would help you hear that God wants you to have life, and it's found through his son Jesus, through the way, the truth, and the life. The last point here is, see, that king calls many, but few are chosen. This just speaks really plainly about the sovereignty of God in salvation. How does God work? I don't know. I'm just going to be honest. He is amazing, and I know that his grace, he calls any and all to come to him. And my job as as a pastor and as your job as the church is to go out and not try to decide who God wants to come to the great marriage feast, but to call all and allow him to do that of the inspection. And so here's what I would tell us today is to know that God is the one who will draw men to himself. And that we need to know that God is sovereignly at work in the hearts of those who are here today as as those who will hear the message that go forth from here as we share the message with them. And that the gate is narrow. And I pray that Even though the statement is made in the last verse here that many are called but few are chosen sounds like a sad, sad statement, but it's such a gracious, gracious and great statement because when you are one of the ones that have been called and you know that you are loved by your God, there's nothing better to hear that you are one of the few. Here's the kingdom question for us today. Are we ready to stand before God one day on the great day of inspection? There are some lessons that we can learn in application. The importance of being ready to respond to God's call when, when he is calling us. Church here today, don't sit in the seats and just let another invitation go by where you could respond to the invitation. But God is calling you. You will know it because the working of God working to draw you. Not because a man manipulates you here from the stage, but because you know that you have to get right with God. And that if you come in your own and your own goodness that you will be thrown out of the great marriage feast and you need God's grace. The other thing is the danger of making excuses. There are many here today that will make excuses and excuses. Church, don't let you or those who are here that don't know God yet make excuses and let that stop them from understanding God's grace and your need for this invitation that's found in Jesus. The other thing is the need for genuine repentance Church, if one thing I would say is if the first step is, is realizing that you're a sinner and you're lost and that you are a sinful person. And if you realize that, then God will give you uh, this genuine repentance through the work of the Spirit in your heart and life. And that's only found through self-reflection in our hearts today and this morning as we respond during the imitation that's getting ready to happen. So church, let us examine our lives, make sure that we have trusted only in the person of Christ and nothing else. This, In conclusion, I want to leave you with what do we do with this parable is this, that we must receive the good news of the gospel invitation. We must realize that salvation comes only, by a great, but only through grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and that we must invite all to respond to the good news and warn those that are out there and those who are here today about the judgment to come if they ignore and reject that invitation that is extended to them. I want to just pray. I'm going to welcome up the team. I'm going to ask you all to stand as we pray and welcome up our our team to come up as we have a time of invitation. And I would just say this. this, this This is a time for you to respond to what God has done in your heart through His Word. And I pray that you would not just make excuses. I pray that you would not reject the call that God has on your life. So I'm going to pray, and, and then our team will lead us in a song of invitation. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would work in the hearts to draw those who are here today, God, that were un, that, that are unsettled with you in their hearts. They have not made up in their hearts and mind uh, the, the, the come to the marriage feast in the right uh, proper attire, Lord. I pray that they would see that God invites any and all. And those who are here, the marginalized, the outcasts, those, that love of grace, that, that grace that is extended is for them. And I pray that they would know that as they come forward, if God does lead them to do that, that this is not to embarrass them or to, to make them feel any, any way, but just to, it's a time of celebration for them to acknowledge the need of, of Jesus in their life and, and the one who died in their place to take upon their punishment to pardon them from the judgment to come. And I pray this in your name, amen.